All right, boys, bust down. Welcome to episode three of the Nope Country podcast. I'm Patrick. I'm Andrea. And uh, this is where we criticize and appreciate country music. Today we're going to be talking about politics and country music. We spoke about propaganda and country music last week. Yeah, this is like a two-parter. So this is part two. We talked. This is the about- last time we're going to talk about politics and country music, guys. So like, get your fill. Yeah. This is the end of it. I've had There's enough. No more to say after this episode. I'm sorry that you've injected politics into my music. Like I know that extent. it really ruins the enjoyment of things to to think about how they work in the real world. Yeah. But sadly, it's it's necessary. But first, the news. Yay! So this is the CMA Fest time of year. So, Sorry, uh, for the listeners at home that don't know what CMA Fest is, um, you, including the listeners here in the laundry room. You know, I know what CMA means. I've only CMA got the initials Fest. like tattooed on my arm here because it's the most meaningful <laughs> that three would be, letters. That's, that's kind of weird, Patrick. It's the Country Music Association. Okay, it's, right. they, have, they have the big festival. It's like South by Southwest, but country. Mm. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> Got it. Cool. Uh, it's in Nashville. Okay. We talked about Florida Georgia Line opening up their new restaurant. I bet. I guess they rushed it because we were just talking about their uh-huh. plans to do it, and now they're opening it up this week in time for the festival. What a lucky coincidence! So we can all like go go get get wasted and lost and uh, <laughs> never come back from. <laughs> The Florida Georgia Line restaurant in Nashville. Let's not. Uh, and Craig Campbell is back at it again with his fifth annual Celebrity Cornhole Challenge coming up this week. <laughs> Which celebrity cornholes do you think will be challenged? What? Do we? How do you even talk about this? Uh, what? Wait, this is, what is... You mean uh, the beanbag game? It's the beanbag game. Okay. It's also a fundraiser to fight colorectal cancer. Shut up. Swear to God. Five years they've been doing this. So it's about buttholes. It's, it's the, a butthole. Thank it's you. A, it's a celebrity butthole I was. Challenge. I forget who was around. That, it was your dad. <laughs> he asked, what's cornhole? And oh, like, yes, <laughs> indeed. He came, right. came to California from Texas and mm-hmm. wanted to talk about what what's the cornhole game That's about. what happens to everybody when they come to California. <laughs> <laughs> Just immediately want to know about cornhole. I'm going to edit that out. Uh, <laughs> why? It's no, funny. It's, it's a funny joke. It's a funny joke. Yeah. Uh, Don't I, yuck my yum, Patrick. <laughs> Celebrity Cornhole Challenge. Hey. All right. Uh, Vince Gill is going to be fit, filling in for Glenn Fry and the Eagles from now on. They're not a country band. I'm sure they are. They're like an Americana were. band. So I guess they're about to get a whole lot more country with Vince Gill around. I just don't think of the Eagles as being a country band. It's like California country, like 70s, you know. They're uh, certainly not Nashville country. No, well, that's that's for sure. This anyway, is, this what's is... happening with their buttholes? <laughs> Craig Campbell is about to challenge these celebrity cornholes. <laughs> uh, Brad Paisley, his new album, it's not just a listening album, it's a watching album as well. Oh, he's trying to get on that Beyonce tip. It, it's it's Beyonce and then Brad Paisley, like side by side, walking, it, walking through their careers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No. No. From Lemonade to Love and War is what this one's called. He's got Mick Jagger. It's not called From Lemonade to Lemonade. No, no, no. Oh, no. oh, okay. No, I I'm was sorry. thinking that, like, okay. Sweet Tea, though, would be a pretty sweet name for, for his, his video album. Like, if he was just completely going to riff off the work of a black woman? Which he's sure. already doing. Right. Right. Okay. May as well yeah. just, like, <laughs> keep it. 
conceptually okay. similar. Now, Mick Jagger is joining him on one of the tracks on this new album. He, so he, he's just like, he's doing this whole thing. But I wanted to mention that like uh, a number of the news items that I've, I've been picking up on are from my new favorite newsletter. It's called The Morning Hangover Tip Sheet. Okay. And it's by a guy named Kurt Bardella, who okay. I learned about in a story from the New York Times, which is how I get all my country music news. But he, he does this thing, you know, since 2015, he's been writing a morning newsletter that basically like distills all the press releases about what's going on in Nashville. Uh-huh. And the idea is that it's like less of the like celebrity gossip and like Nicole Kidman and... Keith Urban, don't text each other. Oh my God, isn't that right. weird? Panic. So it's it's more like professional news. Mm-hmm. He's a PR consultant who worked with Breitbart. And he was he was he was a staffer for Daryl Issa for a while, and so he was like a Breitbart has PR people. You'd think, right? right? <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. Steve Bannon, I think, is maybe like doing more work than anyone else they could pay. <laughs> um, yeah. So Kurt Bardella was a former aide to Daryl Issa. Uh, he's been a commentator on CNN and Fox News. He talks about like sharing his wisdom as a former GOP insider. So in, in this Times story recently, uh, he says, Nashville and Washington have a lot in common. They are both one company towns. I mean, I, I was thinking about how like the messaging um, for a Republican um, like PR person uh-huh. is similar to somebody who's going to be a booster for like what's going on in Nashville. And like you generally like you've got the same audience and like a lot of the messaging is probably the same kind of like down home. Like you're selling the same kind of image, probably. Just the wholesale um, lack of substance. Who is the um, the creepy motherfucker that's behind all of the Dick Cheney and the Bush bits? Carl Rove. Carl Rove. Thank you. Do you think he ever describes himself as a GOP insider? You're saying you don't need to. Yeah, I'm saying if you are, I think you probably don't need to. If you're Santa Claus, you don't need to be a North Pole insider. You're like, aha, here I am. This is secret (laughs) insight into the toy toy shop here. (laughs) No, I think that you, like a goal, a good goal is to get through life without ever describing yourself as an insider Mm -hmm. of anything. Yes. Anyway, his newsletter is great. I subscribe to it. It's been a big help to me in my journey of learning about what's going on. Well, it's nice that he could find a way to really reach out to the world. All right, we talked about politicians using country music last week, and we talked about Pass the Biscuits' Pappy O'Daniel, mm-hmm. the Texas governor who used Bob Wills and country music to sell himself as like a man of the people. So I wanted to talk this week about country music using politics. So in this era of uh, tremendous art, you know, the, the Trump era is supposed to bring us, you know. I believe the art is huge. In the Trump era, all the protest art is going to be so good. Sure. Yeah, no, that's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, like, where better than Nashville to look for, like, the protest art? And they're stepping up to write, like, really poignant, timely songs about human struggle. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because country has always been about regular folks. So I want to take you to the moment, the moment ostensibly when country music became the political beast that it is today. Right, okay. right in the middle of the Vietnam War, there was a lot of music being written in Nashville that was against the war and mm-hmm. also for the war. Mm-hmm. And there was like a, a robust like conversation going on I politically okay. that changed in a particular moment that is described by one J. Lester Fader, who is now a world news reporter for BuzzFeed. He covers like LGBT issues around cool. the world. All right. But he also, before he sold out and got his master's degree in journalism at Columbia, 
He got his PhD in musicology. God, what a sad world where you have to go get your PhD and then get a master's degree in journalism. So he makes a really interesting case Mm -hmm. here. His dissertation was about politics and country music uh, and how they became the way they are today politically. And he traces it to this moment when Merle Haggard released Oki from Muskogee in the late 60s. It was like a novelty song. It was a joke. It was Mm -hmm. satire. It was about this persona of the Oki from Muskogee, you know, talking about how... In Oklahoma, we don't do things like they do in San Francisco, uh, which is, I mean... Smoke weed and have sex. Right. And they don't take no trips on LSD. Right. Also, We don't make a party out of loving. We like holding hands and pitching woo. We don't let our hair grow long and shaggy. Like the hippies out in San Francisco do. So, obviously not true. How do you know? Have you ever been to San Francisco? Yes, and I've been to Oklahoma. (laughs) (laughs) People are people wherever you go. That's true. But, so so he he wrote the song, it's like a satire, and it was received earnestly by a load of people. Which is the best metaphor for the United States, like, in general. It's weird. Imagine what would have happened today if something like that went down. So, journey with me back to that time. Okay, let me when, see if I can get in the headspace. When, I'm there. Uh, <laughs> okay, good. So, uh, Oki from Muskogee becomes, like, the big hit in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And Merle Haggard sees, oh, I can make a shitload of money um, selling this image as country music. and all I of- can make a shitload of money making fun of these people to their faces and taking their money for it. Yeah, when you put it that way. Still there in that yeah. headspace? Still can, st- yeah. I can still imagine, imagine that Imagine if that happened in 2017. Still, I think I can, yeah, the picture has been painted. So right at the same time, George Wallace was running for president. Cool dude, George Wallace. Awful, racist, like, scumbag. Right, right. Yes, you're thinking of the other George Wallace. <laughs> the, thinking of George the other, Wallace. right, yes. <laughs> so he was, he was taking the Papio Daniel playbook, which had been, like, in, you know, it was well used in Southern politics. Mm-hmm. But he was the one who took that to the national stage, and he lost. But Richard Nixon saw that, and he saw that there was a market in country music voters. So when Nixon won in 68, he cemented that bond between conservative politics and country music by declaring October 1970 as Country Music Month. Uh, And in return, the Country Music Association made a special LP just for Richard Nixon called Thank You, Mr. President. And there are two copies of it. And one is in the Country Music Hall of Fame and one is in the National Archives. Literally two. Literally two. Like, you can't go on YouTube and find this. Like, Fader who we're talking about here, as part of his research, he found the record in the National Archives, like, apparently by accident. And it's got 15 songs on it, and it's introduced and narrated by CMA's president at the time, who Uh was Tex Ritter. And he explains to Richard Nixon how each of these country songs, like Coal Miner's Daughter or The Battle of New Orleans, the Johnny Horton Uh song, how they all are about country music and America and, like, country music espousing, like, American values and being the down-home thing. So this is the explicit production of American propaganda. Coming from Nashville. Right. Yeah, instead of of presidents using what... Well, I don't know. I mean, that's kind of in tandem, though, right? Right, so this is the thing. Like, Nixon was like, hey, friends... I will bestow this honor upon you. And they're like, ah, yes, thank you, Mr. Like, without asking for it, right? But, like... 
I mean, that's but that's what Fader is saying here is like what happened in this moment was like they both like Nixon and the Nashville establishment like recognized that they had something to offer each other, recognized that they had a mutual opportunity to profit off of the ignorance of the American people. I yes. think is what you're trying to yes. get at. Them. Okay, not the last time that that would happen. No, no, indeed. So. In 1974, Nixon makes a state visit to the dedication of the Grand Ole Opry. Was he still president in 1974? Like, when did that motherfucker minute? get booted out? I mean, it was right around then. <laughs> but just in time, uh, he, like he had enough time to be there for the grand opening of the Grand Ole Opry. I guess it would have to be grand. The Grand Ole Opening. <laughs> the Grand Ole Opening. And he actually That's went- what you do after the Cornhole Tournament. <laughs> Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon actually got up on stage and played piano. He played God Bless America and Happy Birthday on the piano on stage at the Grand Ole Opry. I wonder if he paid royalties to the Happy Birthday people. To Mildred and Patty Hill? Yeah. I wondered the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Here's a picture of him looking totally at at ease. Oh, look how chill and relaxed mm -hmm. and jovial. He's like, I'm not going to call J. Edgar Hoover on any of you. That man looks like, he looks like there's a button on the piano that's the murder button. (laughs) And he's like, I might push it. I might do it. It's like a different floorboard that falls Uh into the pit below him. Entirely. He looks like like an horror. Terrifying Bond villain It'll be with fine. a piano full of death. I want to tell you a joke that Richard Nixon told the crowd at the Grand Ole Opry's Ooh, opening. On me. Oh, yeah. Somebody was telling me that there is only one thing stronger than country moonshine, and that is country music. I saw a couple of fellows outside that were combining the two, and believe me, it was plenty strong. Is that the joke? That's the joke. Okay. He also, in his remarks, he got serious. He said, The peace of the world will depend not just on America's military might or our wealth, but on our character, our belief in ourselves, our love of our country, our willingness to not only wear the flag, but stand up for the flag. And country music does that. This is, I mean, this is like Lee Greenwood right here. Oh, yeah. You know, it's the idea that the fader is bringing up here is that this is sort of when those ideas got cemented, that he is, mm-hmm. he's recognizing what's happened in the last few years. I this this whole idea that like this um like faux patriotism uh saccharine schlocky patriotism of country music comes like directly from Richard Nixon is so like perfect and the fact that we don't know this and that nobody questions it is even more perfect. Mm-hmm. Nixon is like the guy who got beat because he was bad on TV. And then just went whole hog, like embraced like the proto Fox News thing with Rod- with Roger Ailes basically telling him, "Here's how you do it," and that's what got us country music as well. That's Fader's biggest point is that like what we think of as starting with Fox News started with country music and Richard Nixon. The way that country music is sold uh-huh. is the same way that Fox News is selling America to people today. It doesn't matter what the substance is, but you you like wrap it up in all the right trappings, and then people accept it as their own. Uh huh. Um, I think we just have to, like, end the podcast now and stop listening to country music. The other point that he makes is that, like, in the late 60s, amid the the black pride and native pride movements, Coal Miner's Daughter, for instance, was, like, a country pride tune. Mm -hmm. That was, like, a response to that as well. So, Mm -hmm. like, all the other thing happening in that moment was, like, people were, like... Being racist. Like, white people (laughs) were looking for something for a white pride song, basically. And this is what was, yeah. this is what country music yep. was selling them, yep. which they weren't getting from 
from rock or R&B or, like, other music. I feel like rock has been pretty solid on the white pride front since, like, Jimmy well, Page picked up a guitar. <laughs> less explicitly. Eric Clapton, maybe. <laughs> um, Elvis. I could go on. The other thing that happened, though, after Nixon started this, this love affair mm-hmm. between the, white ha- the Republican White House and country music is that Richard Nixon was also being Richard Nixon the whole time. Mm. So you know how we love to bring in, like, big stars to the White House to, to put on a show for Yes, he invited Elvis to come and do the things. There's that photo, that, like, t- timeless weird photo of, like, sure. of Elvis, of all people, being appointed, like, a drug, a drug czar, mm. anti-drug Yeah, czar. he gets his little DA badge or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's super good. So Johnny Cash came to talk to the president about prison reform. And Nixon says, oh, well, why don't you play a song for us? How about Oki from Muskogee? Oh, or, uh, no. Or, like, Welfare Cadillac was the other song, which is, it's a Guy Drake song. And yeah. It's, it's also, like, satire, right? It's, I mean, it's... Oh, dear. It's one of these, it's exactly that kind of satire that uh-huh. was not widely received as uh-huh. satire. And Nixon is like, ah, how about it, fella? Johnny Cash says, I don't know those songs, but I got a few of my own I can play for you. And so he plays What is Truth, which is this anti-war populist uh-huh. anthem. Yep. And then he plays the ballad of Ira Hayes uh-huh. about the World War II hero mm-hmm. who everyone loved in the moment and then came home and was like shot upon and like right. died drunk in a puddle. Sure. And Richard Nixon just like sits there smiling, the cold, like unfeeling smile for the kids. Yeah, because he doesn't have any soul is yeah. the problem there. Uh, country music turned on Richard Nixon after the Watergate scandal. Tom T. Hall wrote a song called Watergate Blues. David Allen Coe. That leftist firebrand, David <laughs> Allen Coe. Oh, lefty David Allen Coe <laughs> wrote a song called How High is the Watergate, Martha? And John Denver wrote a song called Ballad of Richard Nixon, which was 10 seconds of silence. Oh, I was going to ask if it was like 15 minutes long. No. Like <laughs> 9,000 verses. It was 10 seconds of okay, silence. I get it. Uh, so we talked last week about 9 11 and Toby Keith and Daryl Worley. But, like, so Dixie Chicks, though, are the top example right. of how to get yourself kicked off of country radio. Mm-hmm. And it was 2003, they were in London, and it was it was the eve of the, or the, the very early days of the war in mm-hmm. Iraq. Uh, and Natalie Maines told the crowd, just so you know, I'm ashamed, our president is from Texas. And they had a top, they had, like, the number one song, Traveling Soldier, on the radio right then. And then, like, immediately it was gone. And nothing from the Dixie Chicks on the radio. I'm sure that's just a coincidence. It's weird. How sure, that it was happens. a lot of like just independent DJs deciding for themselves, having their own personal conversations with God and their families, and deciding what's right for them. They just decided they didn't like that song anymore. Yeah. But you were so you were in London in 2003. <laughs> so I was in London in the spring of 2004, um, and up until that point, I would have described myself as a right-leaning, moderate. Certainly pro-capitalist, libertarian, probably. Uh Um, And I would say that within three weeks of living in London, I was about ready to sign up for my communist card. Because there were protests constantly at Parliament about the war. And I love to explore the city and I like to walk by Parliament. I like to do all those things. So I was like always kind of walking by those things and seeing all their like funny signs and whatever. And like at first I was really upset by them. And I was like, you know, like, how dare you foreigners like criticize my country? You don't know. Like, 
you know, why are you mocking my president? And, you know, this is about patriotism. And then, I mean, like, I mean, honestly, just like having a few conversations um, with people who weren't Americans, conversations with people who were Iraqi, who had emigrated to the UK or whatever, and like actually just talking to people about how war affects people, that it's not just like we go over there and bomb surgically the bad guys Mm -hmm. and then everybody else is free because America gave them a constitution to sign and whatever. I mean, like, that's simplistic, but I was 20. Like, I felt I was closer in London directly to people who were directly affected by something like war in the Middle East than I had been in New York City. But that's that's probably more a statement about who I was hanging out with in New York City. But London was a place where it was unavoidable. You know, going to bars, going to working in bars, which I did when I was there. Like, you just, like, I just met so many different people. Um, and that was not an experience that I'd even had, you know, in Greenwich Village. I was thinking about how, like, even in, I was in Ireland in the fall of 2002, mm-hmm. and there were, like, George Bush Bush protests in the street like every day all the time Mm -hmm. and i it's easy to forget like what george bush was like in the world at that time that he was such a joke because now he's not now it's not that at all now he's like the guy who's talking about how donald trump doesn't know god kids that are studying abroad today though like can you even imagine because i mean because i i do remember thinking even after my politics had changed that i thought some of the rhetoric around him was unnecessarily personally cruel mm-hmm. even though like anti anti southern making fun of his yes, accent and the, right yeah. that like that it just didn't have anything to do with how shitty his politics were it was yeah. just about him personally being yeah. mean to him like i like there was a joke among me and my friends in london that like we would say that we were canadian and not american because we didn't want to have oh, yeah. we didn't want to fight with every single person about George W. Bush, and especially when people found out I was from Texas, and they called me Dallas at the bar that I worked at, so that was, like, unavoidable, right? Like, it got really tiresome. Everybody wanted to talk about George Bush. I, like, people, like, I don't know what I would do today if I had to live abroad or, like, study abroad. Like, I would just be like, uh, I don't, I, mm, no. Did you, did you feel like you had to apologize for where you came from? Like, was that what I, I spent a lot of time just being like, we're not all like that. Yeah. Not all Texans, not all Americans. That seems, it seems like a pretty solid segue to the song you wanted to talk about. I want to talk about Southern Comfort Zone by Brad Paisley. All right, let's listen to a little yeah, bit of it. Let's, can we just listen to the whole thing and then we'll only play a little bit of it for the people. I don't want to slide to me. The only one like me. Take a good hard look around. Be in the minority. And I miss my Tennessee home. But I can't see the ways that I've grown. And I can't see. I want to know, all right, how is how is this song political? I think this song is political in a surprising way because it talks about encouraging folks from the southern comfort zone, in this case the, the land of cotton, to go out and explore the world, and in particular, uh, like, Western Europe. Which, like, I know is not the world but in this case is kind of radical, suggesting that 
as Brad Paisley sings in the song, you, you know, can't understand the world unless you get outside of your southern comfort zone. And that is caveated extensively by his lyrics talking about how he knows what it's like to be the only one like me, implying that, you know, like, going to see the Eiffel Tower is going to teach white people some, like, radical lesson about, um, you know, the world and geography. But... Um, it is a pro-globalism song. Which it's, is a controversial opinion Which to is have controversial today. here low in these Trumpian times. Um, particularly um, as Trump was announcing his disgusting and reprehensible um, assertion that um, getting out of the Paris Climate Accord is going to be somehow good for America and something, something, keep us safe and make America great again. Um, he specifically denounced globalism. Uh, so, like, I think that this song is political to the extent that it's apparently controversial that traveling is a nice idea. And I think that it's super sad that that is, like, a radical and controversial and opposite construction to what we typically think of as being, as, as kind of the country narrative, which is like, hooray down home, mama in the train in jail, right? Like, and the dog and the truck. That like, that's real country and that it's like weird and like exceptional to, to suggest that traveling is a good idea, right? Like, like I don't think it has to be that way. Like, I don't think it's, it's like intellectually, logically natural that a genre that's about celebrating your homeland has to be about not celebrating anybody else's homeland, but that is the way country music has been constructed. Uh, so that's what that's what I think makes um, Southern Comfort Zone political because the moment that it is in is also like that is a political statement in the moment that it was written. I don't think that like that sentiment would have been similarly political in other decades or eras, but I think it is political in an era... This is like post-9-11. Post-9-11 thing, right? That this it's is like right around the time edgy. of Dixie Chicks. Right, like edgy at that point to suggest that it's even a good idea to like go vacation mm-hmm. in Europe. It's about the level of edginess that you expect of Brad Paisley. Which is, I think, we've we've talked about this before, that, like, he's somebody somebody who, like, seems aware of the issues that he's getting into, but, but, like, not willing to go all the way with them. Oh, yeah, no, he toes that line of, like, of, like, if you want to read into whatever you want to read into him, then you can. Mm Mm-hmm. But he has plausible deniability for any liberal suggestive opinion he might have. So that's why I wanted to to bring it up was because I think that uh, the idea that travel is a good idea is an entirely non-controversial and reasonable idea that is political within the context of country music. Yeah. So I wanted to I wanted to see if you could tell me because country stars don't tend to wear their politics on their sleeves. Mm-hmm. Tell me. Oh, now it's the quiz bit where you make me do quiz. Who do you think these folks were for in the 2016 election? Okay. All right. Uh, Ronnie Dunn of Brooks and Dunn. Trump. Yeah. Why do you think that? Because I read it on the internet. Okay. I like he had a Facebook post where he says that why he was for Trump. It was because you can Is he going to shake things up? Is you, he going to speak for the he's little not man? Even, he's not even one of those. He says, you can say whatever you want without being called a racist 
Islamophobic, xenophobic, etc. He was anticipating that under a Trump presidency, you could just say whatever you wanted without being called out for saying true so far, I would mm-hmm. say. So accurate. <laughs> so actually, yeah. yeah. He is a Trump voter who got sure. exactly, got what, exactly he what he wanted. Uh, Blake Shelton. Oh, I would say either didn't either. I would say either this is a trick question and he didn't come out for anybody or he goes no, now I think maybe, oh, but he's married to Gwen Stefani, and she seems like a smart person. You think they talk about politics a lot? I'd rather not think about what happens between Blake Shelton and Gwen Stefani. I guess, mm, I think, I think he, I think he waffles. I think he says neither. Waffle, waffle is the correct answer. Yay! He, he leaned Trump. He said, shut up. He said, Trump says what he thinks, and he has proven that you don't always have to be so afraid. And then he had, and then he, he issued a swift clarification on twitter he says hey before this gets going like it always does i haven't enforced anybody for president and i'm not and i'm not going to i don't do that shit you know what at this point if blake shelton wants to enforce the presidency (laughs) that would be an improvement over paul ryan (laughs) okay dolly parton oh hillary no trump neither she says they're both nuts well and she wasn't for Bernie either. She just didn't like. She's anti. Okay, sure. Loretta Lynn. Trump. Trump is correct. Tim McGraw. Hillary. Yes. He says it's innate in me to be a blue dog Democrat. There's actually a Snopes article about whether or not he supported Obama uh-huh. because he was super pro Obama in '08, uh-huh. and then his his pro Obama stuff came back like in 2015, uh-huh. and people were mad at him again. Uh, Hank Jr. Ooh. Bernie. <laughs> he doesn't give a shit about the election. Okay. Right. Well, so Bernie, then. Yeah. <laughs> Last one. Merle Haggard, the Okie from Muskogee. Hillary. Hillary is the right answer. He wrote a song in 2007 called Hillary, supportive of her, and he said it was mostly because she knows whether or not there's aliens in Area 51. Yeah. I would say also she knows her ass from a hole in the ground, That's... as we say in Texas. <laughs> I think this is one of those where, like, you look to the text and you get his meaning here because, like, in the in the press around it, he, he like, super waffled about it. Uh, but in the song, he says, This country needs to be honest. Our changes need to be large. What we need is a big switch of gender. Let's put a woman in charge. I would say that's pretty unequivocal. That sounds pretty unequivocal. <laughs> the point there is is just, in general, how, how country stars, waffling is the main thing. To the extent they get political, it's about, like, the... the underlying values there's mm-hmm. the the eric church rhiannon giddens song kill a word mm. was one of those as well mm-hmm. uh where it's about like let's not be so hateful maybe mm-hmm. let's try that on for size mm-hmm. just less hate but there's one song that has been very directly about donald trump since the election and that's the brothers osborne song it ain't my fault this is number 22 on the charts right now mm-hmm. it's a very popular song and like the lyrics are not very political but uh, the video, as we are about to see. Blame my reason on my name, blame my name on my reason, blame my lack to know I'm better on public education, blame smoke on the fire, blame fire on the smoke, blame the fire on the bouncer that couldn't take a joke, but it ain't my fault. I got my hands up, I need an Mistake. You got the 
so I think I said after the first time I put that on that there was a lot going on mm. in that video. There is a lot going on in that video. As soon as it came out, it was like all over the country blogs were like, get a load of this giant anti-Trump statement. <laughs> and there were like... Um, so okay. the, the video, it's, it's like a point break style robbery story where there's, there's folks robbing a pawn shop with Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, Barack Obama, Donald Trump masks on. And then it follows them around through town as they're trying to escape the cops. They, like, point at political statements along the way. Basically, it's Barack Obama and Donald Trump are running through town. Barack Obama goes into a nice suburban-looking house, and there's a Bubba sitting in his chair, a big white guy with a shotgun. He shoots, shoots at him. Shoots his own TV. Shoots his own TV. <laughs> trying to shoot at Obama. Donald Trump goes into a black church trying to hide from the cops and, like, takes a minute up at the pulpit to, like, wave his hands at everybody, tries to steal from the plate. Mm-hmm. And then and then runs off again. And then runs into a crowd of people who are protesting uh-huh. around a bonfire. Throws a bunch of money in the air mm-hmm. and distracts them. Gets them fighting each other over the money so he can escape while the cop gets caught in the melee. And then they all end up in the alley together and they run into a giant wall. Barack Obama jumps over the wall and escapes on his jet ski in vacation mode. <laughs> George Bush escapes on a, in a pickup truck with the money bag zipped open on the top with the money mm-hmm. flying out of it. Bill Clinton can't get over the wall until Hillary leans over and helps him up. And runs away with him on her motorcycle while he hugs her. And then Donald Trump is trapped there next to the giant wall while the crowd descends on him. So it's not flattering to anybody, I guess. And this is the this is the the, the giant idea behind how you can talk about politics. They're all the same. It's, they're all you the know, same. it's just the... It's... That's like as close as they've come to explaining it as saying that like they don't like presidents. The the presidents are the ones who say, it it ain't my fault, it's all somebody else's. They've made a political video, and then everyone wants to ask them, like, please, like, stand up and explain to everybody, like, what it is that you've said. And then they're, like, sassy about, like, how dare you, like... Mm -hmm. It's this thing. We're not here to offer our political opinions. We're just, have just made this extremely political video with his statement expressly about politicians. So the Rolling Stone Country Story... You know, they they say, well, you listen closely at at one fifty nine and three ten, and you'll see that where uh, where it zooms in on Donald Trump's face, the the lyrics go, "You made a mistake, you got the wrong guy." Oh, for Christ's sake! And it's like this deep reading, like it's Pink Floyd and <laughs> fucking <laughs> the Wizard dark of side Oz, of the moon on. right? Yeah. Like you have to you have to like <sighs> divine what the political meaning is behind this thing. And like that's where it is now. It's like well, a they and reading. also like notably in the Brothers Osborne film, they have the the fake news helicopter like filming the yeah. whole thing. Yeah. Right? Like, it's just, it's this, like, fucking analysis light uh, cable news, you know, take on the thing. The idea that, like, all politicians are the same ignores the fact that, like, harm reduction as a, as, as like, a public health strategy, like, works. Right? None of them are going to be great. But, so, like, they can all be a little better. Right? So I, I think that the, this video is not... It's not totally like both sides. Like what they're saying about it is totally like, well, all politicians are gonna do are gonna lie, cheat, and steal, and you know, screw those guys. Like the video is like Donald Trump is bad, and then and the other folks are like, it's like a joke about Bill Clinton, and it's a joke about George Bush being stupid, uh, and it's a joke about Barack Obama getting shot by a white guy. 
Is that and also like getting able to rob people and get away scot free. Like all of them are robbing people. Yeah, but he's the only one who likes he he like he doesn't just get away with it. He goes jet skiing. I mean, I, I did, that's how I read the video, though, as well, was, like, it's yeah. not, it's not like, okay. shooting on him for getting away. It's, like, it's like he's the one, like, who's got it together. But, like, okay, so I think for something like this, I think you have to imagine, how is the worst person you imagine going to understand it? Not how do you understand it. Yeah. Like, so, how are they going to read that video? So then it, it's that the, he was slick enough to get away with it, and Donald Trump is getting cornered by... A bunch of angry people who don't know yeah, what they're doing. Yes, right. That's how I read it the first time I saw it. Oh. Was that, like, the people have been unfairly turned against Donald Trump by the media and these other politicians who scapegoated him and left him behind this wall. Interesting. I didn't see that at all. And when you can't fucking ask the... Right. ...artist to explain it because... They can't be asked to stand behind this political statement that they made. Then what are we supposed to think about? Then what's it? the point of being? What's the point of like raising politics at all if if you're going to be like vague about it? There is no point other than to say that you've done it and like if you believe that politics doesn't affect your life, then I can see why this is entertaining. Yeah, they're all cartoons. They're like, ha! Around. Look, we made our video like a Scooby Doo. Yeah. Or we made our video like a Beavis and Butthead, or we made our video like a Beverly Hills 90210. Like, they just did a thing that had celebrities in it. I think that the the scene with the bonfire, it, I think that that was a good moment because it's it's everybody at the bonfire is, like, really angry, and then Trump runs in there throwing money around at him, and then everyone turns on each other and starts mm -hmm. fighting over it. So the thing about the bonfire, though, also, is that... So it's a protest, but it's also a bonfire. I mean, it's people with signs around a bonfire. To my mind, uh, there is one political ideology that involves signs and bonfires, and it is a right-leaning political ideology. Leftists, at least in the West, don't burn pieces of cultural production. Uh, they, they go around in the woods and they throw their bras in the fire and they all dance around. Nobody ever burned a bra, Patrick. That's a made-up fucking thing from the Miss America pageant. I know. Anyway. I know. Okay. So leftists just don't do that. So if the imagery is meant to evoke something, then in the Brothers Osborne's favor, if they're maligning that kind of protest, they are maligning Nazism or um, evangelical extremism. Or the clan, because those are the people who burn shit. And that's how I read it as well. Right? And they've all got their signs that say, it ain't my fault. And they're, they're doing the same thing that they're pinning on Donald Trump as well. It's, it's like, to the extent there's a message here, it's... I think that's a pretty close read of it. Like, I'm not sure that that's obvious. There is, like, a lot going on. And, like, to what end? I'm not entirely clear. And I think that we agree that it fails as a political statement. Yes. Because the sum of all these yes. parts is like... <laughs> uh, I think maybe our listeners should watch it and tell us what they think it is. I agree. I yeah, please that. do. I would be interested to hear from people, like, what is their read on that video? You can leave them in a comment on our Facebook page. Do we have a Facebook page, Patrick? Yeah, our page is Nope Country Podcast. And you can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. And you can, if you so choose, uh, leave us a nice review. Cheers. You can leave us whatever kind of review you want. You can also leave us some whiskey on our porch. You can do that too. All right. And we'll see you next time. Bye, guys.